Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW, and on this week's Top Docs Radio Show, I had the opportunity to sit down with a physician we've known for a while, Dr. Doug Lundy. He's a trauma surgeon with Resurgence Orthopedics and actually one of the leaders of that practice, which is one of the largest orthopedic groups in the region. We talked about some of the nuances particular to trauma as a medical practice, looking, for example, at the fact that from one patient to the next, there can be a huge variation in the extent and manifestation of a particular injury, say femur fractures, for example. That depends on the mechanism of injury and a host of other factors that means the physician must bring a high level of artistic creativity and ability to innovate on the fly to be able to determine the best course of action while they're in there in surgery to achieve the best outcome while at the same time minimizing the length of time it takes in surgery to get a particular injury corrected. Here's Dr. Lundy talking about how he chose trauma as his field of study. Check it out. Growing up and being an infantry guy and doing those sort of things, and sustaining injuries, we got to know orthopedic surgeons pretty well. When I first went into orthopedic surgery, like most people, I thought I was going to go into sports medicine. That was an up-and-coming specialty at that point in time. The whole rage of uh, arthroscopic ACL reconstruction was really taking off, and it was a very exciting time at that point. So I was interested in sports medicine, but the more I got into it, the more I was intrigued by trauma surgery itself. It seemed that trauma, nothing was ever the same. It really intrigued me how things were always different, always moving. You made a massive impact on people at a critical time of need. And it was a very interesting and rewarding area. And so I gravitated toward trauma. And back then, it wasn't a very cool specialty to go into. Uh, in the mm. more recent years, there's been an increase in orthopedic surgery residents going into trauma, mostly because of changes in practice patterns that have made lifestyle a lot easier because trauma can be a pretty hard lifestyle. Stick around. I got the full interview with Dr. Doug Lundy coming up next. I'm sitting down with Dr. Doug Lundy. He's a trauma surgeon with Resurgence Orthopedics. His office is located in the medical office building at 61 Witcher Street. That's right across the street from the Wellstar Kennestone Hospital, located in Marietta. And I've known Dr. Lundy for a little while and real pleased to get a chance to sit down and introduce folks to you. For the people out there who haven't met you and, and know a little bit about your practice, if you would introduce folks to uh, yourself and how you got into uh, into medicine, we'll talk a little bit about your practice in, as a trauma surgeon. Yes, thank you. So I went to North Georgia College and my intent at that point in time, that was a military college back then was to be an army officer and I was actually on the Georgia military scholarship. I was enlisted into the infantry and the Georgia Army National Guard and was actually commissioned as an infantry officer. And so I was moving along that path when I became interested in medicine and I wasn't sure if it was veterinary medicine or human medicine, but along the way I realized that as much as I love being an infantry soldier and an infantry officer, that my true calling was to go into medicine itself. So I applied to uh, medical school and got into the Medical College of Georgia. And growing up and being an infantry guy and doing those sort of things and sustaining injuries, we got to know orthopedic surgeons pretty well. When I first went into orthopedic surgery, like most people, I thought I was going to go into sports medicine. 
that was an up and coming uh, specialty at that point in time. The whole rage of uh, arthroscopic ACL reconstruction was really taking off, and it was a very exciting time at that point. And so I was interested in sports medicine, but the more I got into it, the more I was intrigued by trauma surgery itself. It seemed that trauma, nothing was ever the same. It really intrigued me how things were always different, always moving. You made a massive impact on people at a critical time of need. And it was a very interesting and a rewarding area. And so I gravitated toward trauma. And back then, it wasn't a very cool specialty to go into. Uh, in the mm. more recent years, there's been an increase in orthopedic surgery residents going into trauma, mostly because of changes in practice patterns that have made lifestyle a lot easier because trauma can be a pretty hard lifestyle. On call all the time and having to go in and off hours, that kind of thing? That's the, that's the big problem with trauma. The big issue is that trauma surgery to a large extent cannot necessarily be scheduled. When somebody has a fractured tibia, a fractured right. femur, a fractured pelvis, they want to be helped right now. Their entire life is on hold until myself or one of my colleagues does something to improve it and not to disparage anything, any of the specialties, but total joint replacement, sports medicine, a lot of those things can be done next week and are often done next week when Things are settled down on the patient. It's more convenient to the patient because their life keeps going. With trauma, everything stops until we do something. So if that's 2 o'clock in the morning on your anniversary or if it's Saturday when you're supposed to be at your kid's baseball game or it doesn't matter. It's it's It happens right there. And uh, so as a result, we end up getting called at all hours uh, for all many different reasons to uh, – address these things. And I'm, I'm curious, within your specialty, as you focus on trauma, and I mean, clearly you're going to see a lot of people who've had auto accidents of different types, and and I'm sure there's some pretty interesting sports injuries that you see, but do, through your practice, I mean, what do you see probably more often than not? Is it motor vehicle accidents, or what typically are you dealing with more than, than others? So motor vehicle collisions, motorcycle collisions, and falls are the big drivers to us in terms of mechanisms of injury. Uh, typically when you, and that's always a good question because after I finished my fellowship, uh, my wife and I moved to Colorado and we lived in Fort Collins from 1999 to 2006. And so people would often say, oh, you must get a lot of trauma, trauma patients out there from all the skiing injuries. And that's actually mm. not the case. Mm. Ski, even ski injuries, football, sports related injuries, you can get badly hurt. Just ask Joe Theismann. I mean, you can get <laughs> yeah. badly hurt doing it. But it's a lot harder to get hurt in sports than it is to get hurt on a motorcycle or a fall from a significant height or in a high-velocity motor vehicle collision. Um, the energy is a whole different paradigm shift. And so the sports injuries tend to be more low mechanism, simple, more simple fractures that tend not to be too severe. Uh, the high-velocity gunshot wounds, falls, and motorcycle collisions can be absolutely catastrophic. And yeah. we've, we've seen things. Uh, we recently had uh, an injury uh, from fireworks uh, to a patient that, you know, fortunately for us, we've learned so much through the Iraq and Afghanistan right. conflicts, yep. wars, all the poor uh, the soldiers that have been injured there. We've gained so much additional information in this they were able to apply that to the civilian sector. It's a tragic phenomenon, but this is classic, and it pervades the literature that increase in trauma surgery occurs during times of war. And it's tragic that it takes our soldiers to get injured to enable this to happen. But, you know, it's during those times that we 
the country pours mass amounts of money into trauma research and we gain significant That's information. I wouldn't yeah. know, I knew that the military experience certainly contributed a lot of to a lot of medical advances, particularly as you're talking about the, the trauma side of things. And, and one of the things that I think is interesting, we've been talking with a trauma surgeon, Dr. Doug Lundy of Resurgence Orthopedics here in Marietta, learning about his practice and talking about some of the things he sees as a trauma surgeon. And I think that it's pretty interesting in this particular field how Yes, you're going to see, you know, uh, a femur fracture as a femur fracture. But, but the interesting thing about it is based on the mechanism of injury or the different forces that you're talking about and how they're applied in a given instance, how much variation you can see from one to the next in terms of how you're going to approach it uh, in terms of repairing the bony structure that you're going to have to deal with. You can... You have to be somewhat of an innovator from surgery to <laughs> surgery with what you're going to use and how you're going to approach trying to repair this. That's very true. Um, and so one of the things and we constantly, as trauma surgeons, we constantly have to correct ourselves on this. We can look at the x-rays and say, we can get that bone in a position where it's going to heal. And many times we can do things that will encourage the bone to heal in the correct position yet the patient has a suboptimal outcome. And we can look at fantastic x-rays that we'd be happy to broadcast to any other trauma surgeon in the country and say, look what we did, look how this fracture healed. And the patient's sitting over there saying, that's great, I'm glad it's healed, but why does it continue to hurt? Why do I not have function back? And the big thing that we continually forget, not necessarily forget, but we always remind ourselves of, is that the soft tissue component is much worse than the bony component the vast majority of the time in high mechanism injuries. So even though we can get it to heal, it's very rare where you can get any severely injured patient back to 100%. We can hopefully get close. Unfortunately, sometimes we can't even get close. We just get bony union, the bone's healed, and they're far away from that. So like you brought up, there are variations in, in doing this. So um, a lot of times we use rods, which go inside the bone. We use plate and screws, which go outside the bone. But all of those are under the skin. We also use, at times, uh, external fixation where pins and or wires go through the skin to secure the bone. Um, and these are all just tools. Uh, the external fixators tend to look very flashy yeah. and they, yeah. they grab people's attention. In many ways, though, it's funny that that's an easier type of fix many times than the complex plate and screws or rods under the skin that the patient or the public never see. A lot of times that's more challenging, complex surgery. Uh, the external fixators can be extremely complicated and very difficult to do. Um, uh, but, um, they certainly get the press as being the weird. It's, it looks like a cage around the right. person's leg. And, and that's one of the reasons why I thought it was kind of interesting to talk about because I'm, I'm sure folks are wondering what exactly is going on there with, with that. Because from what I understand, you're doing some adjustments to it over time and, and uh, actually it somehow facilitates the bone growing over a space where maybe it was totally disrupted. Is that is that correct? Uh, that's true. So generally speaking in the United States, we use external fixation for one of three uh situations. One is a resuscitative device so that if you have a patient with a badly injured pelvic fracture that we're trying to close down their pelvic volume to keep them from bleeding to death, we can put on a external fixation for a temporary measure as a resuscitative life-saving device. The second reason that we often use it is for a temporizing fixation to span usually the knee or the ankle to allow the soft tissues to recover so that we can safely operate through those and put plate and screw fixation in 
and that the soft tissues will accept this without breaking down and becoming infected. The third thing that we use external fixation for is what's called LSRF or distraction osteogenesis is the more technical word of doing it. And what we actually do is, for all intents and purposes, grow bone. Now, I never want to say that you know, only God Almighty grows bone. We do not. We do not heal anything. All we do is stretch the yeah. bone that's already healing. So I just okay. want to be clear on that. Um, so what we do is uh, with LSRF technique, it's actually very simple. It looks complicated, but when you really break it down to its what you're doing, it's actually a pretty simple phenomenon. So if you have a defect in the bone where there's a segment missing, what you can do is cut the bone at a relatively near but distant site so maybe six inches away and you cut the bone there so you're actually creating a fracture in a intact area of the bone and you give that fracture that you've created a short period of time usually about a week but it, it varies to start healing and then after that crack that cut that you've made starts healing you slowly stretch that healing bone and in doing that, you close down the defect that's distant from that, this defect in the bone. And by stretching that healing bone, you grow bone there. So that cage around the leg is enabling us to do that. And like you said, we actually have the patients adjust the fixator on a daily basis. They usually transport about a millimeter a day or about a little wow. bit more than an inch a month. I'm sorry. Yeah, a little bit more than an inch a month. And actually pull the piece of bone down. And by doing that, you can more or less grow bone uh, to fill defects and such. It's a very expensive process. It's a very labor-intensive process. It requires a significant um, amount of contribution and attention by the patient to do this. Um, not to be too sobering, but I do want to bring up the fact that even there was a number of very big studies that have looked at uh, this along the way. And even though we've got massive and significant advances in trauma surgery and the money and the research that has gone into this has certainly pushed the ball way down the field. At the end of the day, when you really look at people with really, really severely injured legs, uh, they typically don't do that great. And it's a unfortunate and sobering fact. So it's the, it's the new thing that we're continuing to pour mass amounts of resources into saying, yeah, we can put these Elazara frames on and lengthen the bone. And yeah, we can fill defect and we can get the skin closed and we can get the bone to heal. But at the end of the day, the patient's outcome, unfortunately, in some circumstances, still isn't good. Is anything on the horizon that looks like it may have some measure of improvement in that side of the outcome to, that they can begin to have a little bit more of a normal quality of life or closer to what it was before their injury? Well, those are so in terms of that, uh, is those specific questions and what are we doing to try to get to that? Uh, it's, it's a soft tissue injuries and the soft tissue component to it. So what we're trying to do is enable very early rehab and we push so hard on people to try to rehab early right when they're in the middle of the severe pain portion of all this interesting and they they beg for you know gosh let me just wait till this all settles down and then i'll do it and our point is and i understand why they feel that way i totally get it and i feel for them but what we've seen over time is that if they do that when they get to the end and their pain goes down, they'll, they'll have a very dysfunctional extremity that's very hard to get over. Mm -hmm. um, you feel like it's more responsive to the rehabilitation efforts that you're making and the exercises and the things you're doing closer to the injury rather than when some time has had to pass and scarring or whatever the case may be 
that would kind of inhibit flexibility and different things like that. Absolutely. Interesting. Uh, it's 100% of that. It's very interesting. Uh, one of the other big drivers on this, uh, that especially, and you, you really see this from my, my chair when you look at this day in, day out, and you start not focusing so much on what you're doing, but on who you're taking care of as a whole person. And when you look at it, studies are very, very clear that the person's psychological outlook on life and this sounds kind of almost wishy-washy or whatever, but this is really, really true, and it's been shown over and over again, has more impact on how they do long-term than almost anything that we do. And when they look at the drivers of who does well after severe trauma and who doesn't, it's the people that basically pull themselves up and says, yeah, this happened. I wish it never happened. I'm in bad shape because of it. I'm going to get out of it. I'm going to do the best I can and get there, and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And they quit smoking. They pour wholeheartedly into their rehab. They try to get off the narcotics as fast as they can. They push and push and push themselves. And they're absolutely inspiring to us because mm. you see people that you think, you know, this guy is not going to do well. And he comes back in and he's not at a hundred percent, but you're just amazed at how well he's come along and he's back doing sports with his kids and back to work and all those other things. And so a lot of it is a deep, inherent drive. And a lot of people say, you know, I'm really going to get into it, but they don't, their actions don't necessarily follow it. The people that do are just so inspiring to us. Our staff is just sitting there with their mouth wide open going, I can't believe you did this because you really get a feeling for how hard it is. So if you imagine, I mean, if you're, say you're a pack a day smoker and you blow up your tibia and you need to have this fixed, we know, and not being judgmental, but the... Studies show that smoking is very bad for this. Right. So you get this poor guy who smokes a pack a day in a full-time job doing some type of work uh, in construction, for instance, and now he's sitting at home with his leg in an external fixator and a big splint with all these you know scars on his leg. He's got nothing to do but smoke, and this is the time that I'm asking him to quit. And right. you know, you look at this and you go, "It was hard enough to quit when you were working, <laughs> and now you've got nothing to do." And I'm asking you to quit. I mean, yeah. I feel for these folks because I'm making you know the, it's much harder than it would have been before. And the people that really wrap their heads around it and get say, you know, I am not stopping here. I am coming through it. They blow us away, and mm -hmm. we—that's the reason we get up in the morning—is to help those people more than. I mean, we help everybody, but those are the people that are just so inspiring to us that drive us on a daily basis to get up at two in the morning to put folks together because those are the people that you want to get uh, back to life and help them get there because you know that if you fix them fast, fix them well, and push them to the right goal uh, that they'll get there. Mm -hmm. Anything that you can think of that you wish, obviously you mentioned a fireworks injury earlier, and so that's one that's fairly easy to prevent um, is not holding the things in your hand while you're, <laughs> while you're <laughs> yeah. messing with fireworks. Um, anything that you can think of as a, as a trauma surgeon that if, if people would just avoid this activity or do this differently, that maybe some of these injuries that you end up seeing, how often do you see something you're like, ah, I hate it when I see this because it's so easy to prevent. Well, it's kind of funny. We, and I don't mean to be crass about this, but we often say that if it wasn't for testosterone and alcohol, I wouldn't have much to do, and which is true. And so as a guy, I can say that. I mean, we can't change the fact that as guys, we are going to be competitive. And if our friend does something, we're going to try to one-up them. And we see a lot of guys in their 40s and 50s trying to keep up with the 20-year-olds, and it's that's kind of it's always one of those things that it's like, well, it's just part of being a guy. But the big thing is alcohol. Uh, drinking and driving is uh, just an absolutely terrible event that occurs way too often. We see way too many 
injuries as a result of, of alcohol and then, of course, illegal drugs as well. Um, that's the whole blunt trauma side of it. On the penetrating side, uh, of course, drugs and alcohol lead to a lot of gunshot-related injuries. And then the only other thing that I would say besides avoiding alcohol and, I mean, if you're going to drink uh, to excess, stay away from the pool. Don't be diving in the pool. You're going to get hurt. It happens way too often. We see it as a constant phenomenon. And please don't drive. I mean, that's just a bad idea. That's just not going to end well. And then the other part of it is the the gun safety. If you're going to own firearms, if you're going to carry, try to really increase the level of safety with that because we see so many accidental, self-inflicted gunshot wounds that can result in just horrific injuries because they're all close range because the gun is next to them when it goes off, mm -hmm. and it can be just absolutely devastating. We've been talking with Dr. Doug Lundy. He's a trauma surgeon with Resurgence Orthopedics located here in Marietta next to the Kennestone Hospital. Tell them how they can get in touch with you if they want to link up with your practice. Yeah, absolutely. So we are at www.resurgence.com. There's no O in Resurgence, R-E-S-U-R-G-E-N-S. -E and the phone number at the Marietta office is 770-422-3290. And we'll link in with uh, the, the website and all the social media so that you can get great information from the physicians and the folks at Resurgence. We've worked with them a, a number of times over the years. I've uh, had high regard for all the physicians. I'm really appreciative for you, Dr. Lundy, for taking some time to share some information about why you got into this particular field and how you're very obviously passionate about the folks that you work with and that press through some of these traumatic injuries that you've been helping them deal with. So I appreciate Appreciate you taking some time. I know you got some places to be here this morning, so uh, I'll get you back to it. But thanks so much. Thank you very much. 